Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Revolution Recap. It's been a few weeks since we've checked in, but we finally have some news and notes to go go over in the world of New England soccer. A couple of players are now off the Revolution roster over the past few days. USL to Rhode Island is taking steps forward. Uh, and, of course, we have the MLS Cup happened. World Cup rosters have been announced. A very exciting time for soccer to kind of come back uh, after a bit of a lull. Uh, I'm Greg Johnstone, and before I get to who's joining me today, we also have a show announcement. For those of you that are not on social media and that may not have seen, we wanted to announce that we have some roster moves, so to speak, uh, and Chris Lucas is retiring from the world of podcasting. Uh, he's no longer going to be a co-host of Revolution Recap. He will be on the show as a guest. Uh, we will have him come on, make some guest appearances. So you will hear him again on this show. Uh, but Chris, as a co-host and being on as frequently as he is, um, is not going to be possible going forward. And uh, I just want to take this moment to thank Chris for all that he's done for us the last two years. We probably would not be doing the show if it was not for him. Uh, he had a lot going on in his life. He moved. Uh, he's had a career change and a job change uh, in the past couple of years while he was on this show. And as time has gone on, the real world and fatherhood has kind of taken him away. So um, I really appreciate everything Chris has done for this show. Um, you, As I say, you will hear him again. I think he'll come on uh, and say goodbye to all of our faithful listeners uh, at a later time. But right now, fatherhood is calling. And for those of you that may follow him on Twitter, you know that his son, uh, I believe Chris Lucas Jr., uh, is the leading rusher in his uh, Pee Wee football league. So uh, just wanted to kind of give that note right off the top of the bet, t- off the top of the show here, and a lot of people too reached out and said, "What are you going to do for a new co-host?" Very little faith. Uh, very little faith. One person said uh, we should do a, uh, a reality show. Uh, you know, New England's next great soccer podcaster. But I'm not Bruce Arena. I have a replacement ready to go uh, when we lose someone off our roster. And with that being said, Tanner Rabello, our new co-host of Revolution Recap, welcome to the show. Yeah, it's great to be joining you. Uh, you know, it's going to be sad to see Chris go. It was always great joining him as well. Uh, but like you said, he's going to be on the, the podcast as a guest going forward to say his goodbyes as well. But it's definitely great to uh, the, to come on and, um, you know, contribute. Yeah, and if you don't follow Tanner on social media, if you don't follow Trifecta Network, you should. We're very excited to have you on, Tanner. Tanner, you're, you're one of the few guys really on the beat you probably watch more Revolution Soccer and Revolution 2 Soccer than anyone on the beat. Uh, your notebooks uh, week in and week out are great, and I know we've we've mentioned that before on the show, but uh, we're really excited to get you on the show more uh, and get you kind of uh, get your takes on the show more in audio form too. So um, for our listeners that don't follow Trifecta Network or Tanner Rabello on social media, make sure you go do that now. But uh, Tanner, before we get into our key takeaway of the past few weeks, uh, I do have a couple of things I want to talk about from our friends at the Rebellion. First off, they have a Movember fundraiser going on right now. Make sure you go to anyrebellion.org to learn about their Movember fundraiser right now. They are trying to raise $2,500 uh, to go to raising awareness for men's mental health and suicide prevention. So go check that out. And also, there's going to be a Rebellion Black Friday 
World Cup watch party. That's going to be at Flynn's in Mansfield. Doors open at 1 p.m. Kickoff is at 2 p.m. There'll be discounted drinks for Rebellion members, and you can get your 2023 Rebellion membership there in person at Flynn. There's also going to be some door prizes as well as free samples from Shoveltown Brewery. So I do know we, we talked about the We Got Soccer Watch Party in Boston. That is currently sold out. So if you missed out at tickets at those, uh, go check out the Rebellion Watch Party at Flynn's Irish Pub on Black Friday. Doors open at 1 p.m. kickoff at 2 p.m. For more information, please go to www.google.com and Google Flynn's Pub Watch Party Black Friday for more information. All right, with that being said, Tanner, let's get to some news and let's start with the some recent movement with the uh, Revolutions roster. Uh, notably, let's start with John Bell selected in the expansion draft to St. Louis. A uh, bit interesting on the expansion draft front because John Bell was left open. Uh, we, we talked about potential keepers on this this team. John Bell was left open. Christian McCoon was left open. Gustavo Bo, surprisingly, uh, was left open. And I know Sean mentioned on a previous podcast that was his wild card. He didn't know if maybe the, the Revs were kind of hoping that they could open up a DSP, DP spot by dangling Gustavo Bo out there. But it's John Bell selected by St. Louis. Um, what's your reaction to the expansion draft lift? List and John Bell uh, leaving for St. Louis. I think it's a smart pick by St. Louis. I think if you look to who is available from the Revolution, and if you're a team that's looking to build, you look at John Bell. He's under a reasonable contract. He's a young center back. He's proven that he can start in Major League Soccer. Um, you know, if those are a lot of things you're looking for when you are an expansion team, and also his availability as well. He is healthy. Uh, if you look at anyone else, obviously Gustavo Bo is available, but DP status and a significant contract. Um, there really isn't anyone else that they had available that would have been interesting to St. Louis. So if you looked at the Revolution availability, it was John Bell was the easy choice. And I think if you looked around the league, you know John Bell was one of the better options out there if you're looking for a young center back that's relatively affordable. Yeah, and David Goss mentioned on Extra Time the, the week before uh, the expansion draft happened when the when the, the lists were released, uh, he mentioned John Bell as a center back that's not starting, that could be starting in the league. So for St. Louis, filling out this roster, getting a guy on their supplemental roster, and John Bell, who potentially could start, uh, I think that's a, a really good signing there. And I know they also traded for Tim Parker, too, uh, in, in Houston. So um, John Bell, I don't know if he's going to be a starter day one for St. Louis, but he's definitely going to be in the competition for minutes. And from a revolution perspective, too, you know, I, I think they're losing John Bell. I, I do think he was an asset to this team, but I've mentioned before they had 10, all 10 of their roster spots on the supplemental roster were taken. So they needed to clear at least one to fit in the super draft pick. I believe the Revs have pick number 10 in the super draft. So they would have needed to clear a roster spot some way, somehow. And if you look at center back for the revolution, you have Henry Kessler, you have Andrew Farrell, you're potentially signing another center back. I'd imagine they are going to sign a center back soon. And we'll talk about that a little later. You have Christian McCoon, you have Omar Gonzalez, and then you have Ben Ravino down the, at the, the, the bottom for depth. So John Bell was really kind of mixed in the middle there and you weren't really sure where a path through minutes were. I know he played a little bit of left back towards the end of the season, but I think this is a really good move for John Bell, the the player in that he's going to see a lot more minutes and a lot more potential to grow somewhere else. And at age 25, um, I, I think this is really, really a, a good move for John Bell. So I will miss him, uh, but I think this is probably best for all involved. Yeah, I think for the Revolution, this is kind of curious, right? If you looked at their center backs, obviously it's 
Henry Kessler, Andrew Farrell, those are your top two picks. But if you look at Farrell, this has been an Ironman candidate for the last couple of years for the team. Ever since he came in the league, he's led center backs and it's played. But, you know, that catches up to you, especially playing on turf. You look at Henry Kessler, he had a lack of availability last year. And then if you look behind them right now, you're looking at uh, Omar Gonzalez being that third option. And obviously you have Ben Ravino as another option, and Christian McCoon. But for the Revolution, now they have to go out there and get a center back that's capable of starting. That's what they're going to have their place now that John Bell's gone. So when you look at who they protected and could they've changed things up, you can't really disagree with anybody that they protected. Uh, Altador would have been the only one you probably wouldn't have wanted to protect, but due to his known trade clause, they had to protect them. So you can't really argue with who they protected, but now they do have a real open spot at center back. And I think that's a real concern for them, considering center back was a major concern throughout the 2022 season. And it is worth noting, I want to, I, we haven't had a show in a few weeks, so I do want to just note real quickly that Gustavo Lopes of um, uh, uh, Terra Nosa Radio did report that the Revs are looking to sign a quote-unquote big-name center back, and they're looking uh, at the international and domestic markets. So, And, and that's not a surprise to anyone. I, I do think that that's an area of need. Uh, but yeah, you're going to have... Your, your new starter coming, you have Henry Kessler, you have Andrew Farrell. Um, you know, John Bell would have would have had a really, really tough time uh, uh, for any sort of playing time there. So uh, just real quick, uh, you, you did mention uh, Gustavo, or, or sorry, you mentioned Josie Altador was protected on that list. He had to have been protected because he has a no trade clause in his contract. So automatically that means the Revs have to use a uh, spot to protect him. Also on that list, Nacho Heel, who is out of contract, but the Revs have expressed interest in. So I think that's also worth noting, too, in the expansion list. But um, turning real quick, though, to someone not protected, Gustavo Bo, a designated player. I think a lot of people were surprised about that. But we've, Sean and I have talked a few times about how he might not fit on this roster, how he's got a very big contract. I know it's a contract year for him, but um, it's a bit concerning. And now there's also some rumors that racing down in uh, Argentina are very interested in maybe signing him in the future or there's mutual interest there in, in terms of a return. So Gustavo Bo is under contract for one more year. I'm personally not reading too much into it because I don't think the Revs will use the off-season buyout on him. I'm not sure if racing will pay a transfer fee or even match the salary that the Revs are paying Gustavo Bo now. Um, I, I think this might be more of a 2024 move than anything like that, but Gustavo Bo being left unprotected certainly is going to fan some uh, uh, flames to the rumors there. Um, Tanner, what'd you think about Gustavo Bo being left unprotected? And do you think that this might mean that he might be leaving the revolution sooner rather than later? I think if you looked at 2022 and saw his lack of availability due to injury, um, even when he was on the field, it wasn't necessarily overproductive and using a DP slot on him. He has a hefty salary as well to go along with it. And I, I think it's easy to look at Gustavo Bo and say, you could probably do more with that DP slot. Also, Giacomo Veroni as well. He obviously protected him. He banged out uh, with some injuries as well. Came over midseason. So they have to look at those two DB slots and make sure they're productive. And I think Veroni, it's still early. But for Gustavo Bo, he's player on the wrong side of 30. Um, he's had productive years for you. But occupying a DB slot has a high salary. I don't think leaving him unprotected was necessarily the revolution saying they don't want him. I think they just understood that St. Louis probably wouldn't want to you know, use resources to pay him and bring him in and use a DP slot on him. But I think if you're the Revs, you have to start thinking about what do you want to do long term. And I think with Gustavo Bo, you have to play a certain way, a specific formation. Um, 
And I don't necessarily think he works well with what they want to do long term. And I think his position with the team is also a question. I think they've tried him in a bunch of different spots and there hasn't really been that perfect fit. Um, so I think you can look at Gustavo Bo and yeah, I think 2024, you know, that's probably the time he leaves. I, I think for this season, though, they're kind of stuck with him, unfortunately. I think that's a really good assessment too. And the only thing I'll add is that we've seen a lot of these times in expansion drafts, a player is drafted then immediately spun. And so St. Louis, I think they've used all eight of their international roster spots. And so the speculation was they probably don't want another designated player. I know their GM has come out and said uh, they don't believe in designated players. They believe in designated team uh, or whatever, um, which, which kind of implies that maybe they're not using all three designated player spots. Maybe they're not looking at high salary players. So picking Gustavo Bo may not be kind of within their philosophy right now. And they'd much rather go for younger assets, which is what they ended up doing. Uh, but as I say, we, we've seen people kind of spun uh, in these expansion drafts and kind of shopped around. Uh, I, I remember Kai Kamara was selected one year and then immediately uh, was traded. And I could kind of see something similar like that happen where Gustavo Bo is selected and then maybe traded to someone else who needs a striker or needs a goal scorer somewhere. And they're willing to take on that designated player contract for one year, kind of as a one year show me type of thing. Um, but that ended that, that didn't end up happening um, obviously. And, and, as I say, I think John Bell was the more attractive asset when you consider the contract. So um, very interesting kind of wrinkle. But as I say, I think uh, at that salary, I think a lot of people aren't interested in Gustavo Bo at that price. Uh, the one other move we have here, and I don't believe it's official. I don't believe there's ever a press release uh, as of Monday night at 820. Uh, but uh, Ismail Tajori was reported by Seth McComer of the bent musket that his contract option is being declined. Uh, we talked about this a little bit before he was traded from LAFC to the revolution for $400,000 in general allocation money. And the revs have made some comments that he's facing an injury that might be potentially career ending. Although Ismail Tajori Sharati disputes that I believe LAFC has disputed that as well. Uh, and there seems to have been a little bit of dispute uh, over that trade. A lot of details are not known, but in terms of the roster, this was supposed to be their big acquisition coming into the season, and obviously he is never going to see the field for the Revolution unless he's re-signed. So, uh, Tanner, what's your reaction to Tajori Sharati's option being declined? It's curious. The, the whole situation is curious. You look at the transfer window back in the summer, and Ismail Tajori Sharati came in, and this was supposed to be a starting midfielder for the Revolution. Sebastian Lejet obviously went to FC Dallas in a trade, and... Revolution spent a lot, right? 400000 in GAM. And then also, if his option was picked up, I think, believe it was 200000 in GAM, they would vote LEFC. And at the end of the season, Bruce Serena did you know, say that there was some, you know, maybe some information wasn't shared with them that should have been with LEFC. Obviously, LEFC has disputed that. Uh, Ismail Tazori Shari is also posted on social media, training videos. You know, if you're, you can't really blame the Revolution for not bringing the player back, I think. Maybe that speaks to their belief that he can get back to full health. Um, but he ultimately is, is a starting midfielder in Major League Soccer. Now the Revolution have to fill that slot. And it's curious. The whole situation is very curious. The whole acquisition the teams have done the past year is very curious. Ozzy Altidore, Omar Gonzalez, um, Sebastian Legette. And now you're looking at Ismail Tesori Shradi as well. And this is just another situation where there was just some mismanagement. Um, I'm not shocked that he's not coming back, but it is curious, right? They did spend $400,000 in GAM and then obviously paid his salary as well. 
and to give up on him is kind of giving basically admitting that that was a failure of a trade. Absolutely, and it's quite a, a big sunk cost. Now it's worth noting to Joy Sharati's contract this past season it was six hundred six thousand in base salary, four hundred or sorry six hundred forty eight thousand in total compensation. So this is a big chunk of the salary cap as well. And you know if you're not sure if this guy is going to be able to contribute in the future. Uh, I think that certainly plays a lot into it. Again, the contract is playing into it. So um, I'm not totally shocked at the decision with comments that have been recently made. I know there's some speculation that maybe the revolution will bring him on in a cheaper salary. I think if you're Tajori Shirati, you certainly test the free agent market. Uh, I, I don't think he'd be too happy about it that his injury status is being used as a bargaining chip. So I'm not sure he's willing to, if he, he can play, and if he is healthy, uh, I'm sure he's going to look around and look elsewhere. Uh, but certainly a very peculiar, curious signing, uh, as you say. Um, and it's worth noting, too, that three players were brought in by the Revolution at the trade deadline. They shipped out Sebastian Legette. They brought in Christian McCoon, who is a project. I'm not going to write him off just yet, but is a project. They also brought Clement Diop. He was let go. His contract option was declined, never played a minute for the Revolution. Now we have Ismail Tajori Sharati. His contract option is being declined, never played a minute for the Revolution. So that, that summer transfer window is not looking great. And you, you kind of walk through some of the signings last winter. Um, the Revolution didn't make any acquisitions the summer before this in the summer of 2021. And then you go back to the winter transfer window in 2021, Captoom, Christian Mafla, Arno Tristesen. Um, they've missed on a lot of signings right now. And right now, you know, George A. Petrovic looks like an absolute gem, but it's been two years since the Revs really have had a, a, a great home run signing outside of Petrovic. So maybe Vrioni turns it around, but um, certainly some peculiar moves coming from them recently. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the, re- well, that's part of the reason why the revolution took a step back last year. Obviously, health played a factor, but the moves that they made, the acquisitions that they made, they went backwards. And I think this offseason, it's so critical. And this offseason could be what makes or breaks Bruce Arena's tenure in New England. So far, he considered a success, but you have to look at his age and you have to think, okay, well, they have to take the next step next year, right? They have to get over the hump and sort of build back. And then this roster is very depleted. They're going to have to make a lot of moves, and they're going to have to hit on these moves. So there's a lot of pressure on this organization right now. In Bruce, we trust is quickly declining. Uh, it's also worth noting, too, that the Revolution have parted ways with their head trainer, Eric ben- Benson. Um, no relation to Jerry. Uh, he was let go and... This was reported by Frank DeLapa over the weekend. I don't think it's a big surprise, not just in terms of the Ismail Tajori Shradi uh, decision, where it seems like the Rebs may have messed up the physical. There seems to have been a miscommunication there. But uh, also, it seems like timelines were all over the place in terms of injuries. I remember Gustavo Bo and Dylan Barrero were expected to come back, I believe, by the Orlando game, and they were out for a few more weeks. Bruce Arena has made comments at press conferences about... Um, you know, we need players back or we've messed up the rehab or we've messed up the timeline. It certainly seemed like there was something going on wrong there. So I don't know how much uh, is at the feet of this head trainer. I think those are details we're not going to ever learn because we're not privy to them. Uh, But it certainly seems like in terms of the rehab uh, and the uh, physio department, uh, the revs are are going in a a different direction. And um, after this past season, I can't say I'm surprised. Before I get to some exciting news, for Rhode Island soccer fans, I want to talk about some exciting news going over at Galasso Kits, our sponsor. Their mission is to bring unique vintage jerseys to your home with a catalog of jackets, 
jerseys, scarves, and more from clubs and national teams from over 80 countries in the world. And right now they have a Black Friday event, uh, or a Black Friday sale, I should say, uh, where it's 25% off everything in their catalog. No discount code is needed. So usually you use pro- promo code REVSRECAP to save 15% off. You don't even need to do any of that. You can save your fingers from doing any typing on your keyboard. 25% off their entire store just in time for Black Friday. So get your Christmas shopping in. They're going to have jerseys of the United States men's national team just in time for the World Cup. They have your favorite European soccer team. They have Revs merch. You know what else they have, by the way, under the Revolution section of GlossoKits.com? They have an Lexi Lawless action figure. Everywhere I go, people say, Greg, do you know where I can get an Alexi Lawless action figure. And now I can respond with, you can go to glossokits.com and use promo code REVSRECAP. Actually, don't use promo code REVSRECAP because you're going to save 25% off during their Black Friday sale. So go to glossokits.com. Links and code are in the show notes. But again, you don't need the code. You don't need the code. Tanner, big news in the state of Rhode Island today. U.S. Alta Rhode Island has finally announced their logo uh, and their crest and their branding. And they are branding as Rhode Island FC. And I want to get your take on this. I know that as a Rhode Island-based journalist, you've been all over uh, this saga of the team coming and forming. And they'll be playing, I believe, uh, starting in 2024. They'll be fielding a team for the 2024 season. But um, what's your thoughts uh, on the branding of Rhode Island FC? It's been a long time coming. I first uh, wrote the story back in February about the branding process. Um, you know, I spoke with the the folks and team behind this process. And they had done a lot of different soccer projects throughout the United States Leading into it, um, this is a community-based brand conversation. You know, they did surveys to ask the community for all their suggestions. They had a lot of surveys go out, a lot of in-person meetings, virtual meetings, um, and they did their homework. I think if you look at the name itself, Rhode Island FC, I would say it lacks creativity. And you know, I think a lot of people that were looking for a creative name would agree with that. Uh, but it, it's not a shock. We've seen a lot of teams in the United States go with. FC or SC in their name. Um, so it's a common theme. But I think if you look at the logo itself, I think it's it's brilliant, right? You look at the anchor, you know, that's taking from the state seal of Rhode Island. Um, the colors are great. You know, if you look at the actual, the monogram itself, um, it's the shape of a hull um, with the shape and everything. And even, you know, the initials RI for the state. I think they did a really good job with the crest. And I think the merchandise looks really solid as well. Um, this is a long time coming for Rhode Island. Uh, you know, going back to the last Paw Sox game I covered, I was one of three journalists there. Um, and the RFP had already gone out for this site on the Seekonk River in Pawtucket. Um, you know, covering this from the RFP to when the city selected the soccer project, through all the ups and downs, you know, the acquisition of land, the funding issues, the tax write-off issues, um, you know, coming to now, I think it really is coming full circle. Uh, so it's great to see as, you know, a soccer fan and soccer journalist, it's really great to see Rhode Island, you know, getting its day in the sun. Um, I think there's a real soccer community here. I think we all know that. If you're listening to this podcast, you obviously know there's soccer fans around here. But I think this is just such a great opportunity for Rhode Island. I generally love the crest. The name, I'm not the biggest fan of. Uh, but the crest itself, I think it's great. You, you took the words right out of my mouth here where, you know, I, I think I they, they talked a lot about how it was going to be you know, true to Rhode Island, it was going to kind of have a connection to the state. And I feel like the name Rhode Island FC is as bland as you can get. 
But with that being said, everything else I love about it. I love the colors. I love the logo. I love the brand, you know, the branding other than the name. Um, I do say if they went Rhode Island FC, I think that it would have been great if they chose their slogan FC's given uh, just as, as a kind of anti-Revs thing. Uh, I think that would have been funny. But uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I wish they had come up with a bit of a better name. Uh, that's the only thing holding it back from an A plus for me. So I'll, I'll give this all a, an A minus, but um, I think it's a great location. I, I, and as you mentioned too, this has been a big deal in Rhode Island. It's been a political issue too. There was a governor's race in Rhode Island last week, and I know uh, that that was a there that was a bit of a talk of the town. Uh, so um, it's it's all that has passed, and there'll be soccer in Pawtucket in 2024. Very very exciting. So uh, congratulations to Rhode Island FC, and I will plug too for our listeners. Uh, who, who may not have been listening to us for a long time. If you scroll back in our feed, we do have an interview with Brett Johnson, who is the owner of Rhode Island FC. So go back. I believe it was somewhere in the fall of 2021. Uh, we have an interview with him about uh, what started his interest in the Rhode Island soccer team. Uh, so go check that out if you haven't already. Uh, one other bit of news in terms of soccer in New England. This is back to being Revs focused. Uh, I know we talked a few months ago about the potential for an Everett Stadium. I know there was, I believe it was an amendment put into a bill that passed through the state House of Representatives to allow to scale back uh, environmental regulations to pave the way essentially for a Everett soccer stadium, allegedly for Robert Kraft. That has been removed from the final bill. Uh, It seems like that is, I shouldn't say dead, but it's certainly a setback for the revolution. And if seems like if they were at the 40-yard line, they now have to punt uh, and, and restart from their own five. Uh, Tanner, any 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 reaction to the Everett Yeah, it's news? not surprising, right? I think it's the same story that's played out every time that a site is identified for the revolution. It's the same story, the same ending. There's just a failure to get support with local politicians. I think there's a failure to even get the local communities involved and invested in the project as well and getting that local support that's ultimately what pushes things over the edge is getting those key partners invested into a project. And that's what got Rhode Island over the sort of the hill there when they had financial issues. They had a key partner that they partnered with politically and were able to get over the hump. So I think that's what the revolution are lacking. I don't know if it's lack of you know, owner investment, um, but at this point, it's the same story just playing out again, unfortunately. And at this point, I just it's hard to even envision a revolution stadium because it just feels like every time they identify a site – they get put back to square one. Mm-hmm. And I certainly have my hopes up for Everett. I know I've taken some flack uh, from some of our, some of our listeners because I thought this meant this. Uh, back when we originally heard this story, I thought it passed through the House and the Senate, and it just required a governor's signature, uh, and I was mistaken about that. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, this uh, I, I think that the Everett situation, there's been enough going on with rumors in terms of Wind Casino and, and whatnot. It seems like this is where... The team is focusing. It seems like the mayor of Everett is really looking for some development there, and there seems to be mutual interest there. Um, but just politically, it doesn't seem like the Revs have any – or sorry, I should say Robert Kraft doesn't have any capital. So um, I'm not sure if that's the big holdup. I will say one – I'll say positive, but it's really a negative – is that New York City FC – apparently this week is going to be announcing a new stadium. And while that normally is bad news and certainly embarrassing – for the revolution. I think when Robert Kraft is embarrassed, he steps his game up. Uh, so I, I wonder if New York City FC getting a stadium really gets Kraft to kind of look inward and say, okay, I, 
in order for me to get from A to B, I'm really going to have to take this extra step and work around these regulations or, you know, choose a different site or build outside of Boston. Um, so I'm curious to see if he shifts focus uh, or if this is just more of the same, as you said, it's been the same old story for the past 15, 20 years. So um, one more revs note that I wanted to note, Matt Doyle, I believe it was Matt Doyle that mentioned this. Eric Williamson of the Portland Timbers, rumored to be on the trade block. It seems like, I believe he was a coach's decision to uh, do not play uh, on decision day in the last weekend of the season. So he's apparently on the trade block. He might command a price tag of $1.5 to $2 million in GAM, which is an insane amount, but apparently the Revolution are one of the teams interested in Eric Williamson. Tanner, don't know if you have any massive thoughts on Eric Williamson here, uh, but... What are your thoughts on these rumors, and do you think this is what the Revs need? Yeah, they need a midfielder uh, come in, and I think that the Revolution are sort of tipping their hand. They need a midfielder, and they need a quality midfielder to play alongside Carlos Seal to take some of the pressure off him um, and take some of the pressure off Dylan Barrero and really have a strong midfield presence. So I, I think they need to make a move like this. This is the kind of splash that you need. Is this the right player? That's a good question. I'm not sure, but this is the kind of move I feel like they have to make. Yeah, and it's worth noting Paul Ariola is the largest transfer fee in terms of allocation money at $2 million, and apparently that's where Portland's asking price. It's it's approaching that level. So uh, I don't know in terms of cap-wise uh, where the allocation money shakes out, so I don't know if the Revs can match this price. I don't know if they have $2 million in GAM available to trade, uh, so it, it is worth noting that. Um, that's, that's one thing I wish the league was a little bit more transparent on, but... Um, yeah, I think it'd be a very good fit. You could pair him with Matt Polster in the midfield. Um, it, it would certainly give you a, a more solid spine of the field. So, yeah, uh, Williamson would be a, a good fit. But, again, player contract, there might be a bit of a, or I should say, player slash price tag. Um, I think that's two different answers there. Uh, other notes, World Cup rosters. Uh, Nozak Stefan on the United States uh, World Cup roster. Also not making the World Cup, Adam Buxa. Injuries that that happened to him after uh, he left the Revs. Injuring his foot on international duty certainly did him in. He's barely played over at Lens. So Adam Buxa misses the World Cup uh, for Poland. Mentioned Zach Steffen not making the United States men's national team. That pretty much implies that Matt Turner is going to be starting. Matt Turner is going to be wearing the number one shirt for the United States. So he should be the starter throughout the entire uh, World Cup over Horfath and Sean Johnson. And of course, Dejan Buchanan. Uh, making the World Cup roster for uh, Canada. Tanner, I, I assume we'll talk a little bit about Zach Steffen and Matt Turner, but did you have any other takeaways from the World Cup rosters, whether or not it's the United States men's national team or somewhere else? I think it was interesting that uh, Paul Ariola didn't make it. Um, this is a player that Baralter liked that performed well at the national team level as well. So that was kind of surprising to me. Yeah. And Ricardo Pepe. Yep. Uh, I, I thought that was a, I thought that was a big, big stunner. Um, Zach Steffen, too. I feel like the debate was Zach Steffen versus Matt Turner. Steffen not even in the top three. I assume that Steffen must have said something to the effect of, if I'm not starting, I don't want to go. Um, but that was it. That's a huge, huge fall from grace for Zach Steffen. Yeah, I look at it this way. I think if you have Zach Steffen and Matt Turner on the roster, everyone's asking who's our goalkeeper. You don't have Zach Steffen on the roster or vice versa, Matt Turner, you know who the starting goalkeeper is, and I think they made the right decision. I think Matt Turner has proven for the United States, also at club level, that he is capable of starting for the U.S. national team, and he is clearly their best option. 
Uh, you know, I think this was a smart move by Berhalter. Um, I, I think it's just so critical for this this team to get to a point where you can finish this World Cup and feel confident going to 2026. And I, I think that's what this is all about. Um, and you know, talking to um, people that have ownership stake in clubs and investment into the sport, that's what they're looking for, looking for 2026. Now it's going to propel the, the entire sport forward in this country. And I think showing up then is what matters the most. So it's getting these younger players experience. It's about showing up in this World Cup and performing well. And I think for Berhalter, he understands that if they don't perform well in this World Cup, he's out. And I, I think it's quite simple as that because 2026 is that important. So Berhalter is fighting for his job and he knows it. And I think they've had lack of continuity on this roster. I think they've had players going in and out. They still don't really know who their striker is. Um, it's good that he finally figured out who his goalkeeper was. But uh, it, it's hard to be confident in this team. Um, but it, like I said, I think it's all about looking at 2026 and building towards that and just sort of showing up and taking a step forward in this World Cup. Absolutely. And just to remind our listeners, you can watch the United States men's national team on Black Friday at Flynn's in Mansfield. Yeah. And one more thing, too, with Burhalter, I mean, I'm really not confident about the United States getting out of the group stage. I can't imagine they retain him if they miss out on the, the, the group stage. Um, but I've been surprised before. Uh, but I agree with everything else you, you said there. Um, should be interesting, but I, I feel a lot better knowing that we're in safe hands with, with Matt Turner and Ned. And by the way, you mentioned he has been playing very well um, at club level. He has had some very, very good performances in the Europa League. He's won over Arsenal fans, uh, which certainly seemed like a long shot uh, when he first went over there. There certainly were a lot of doubters on social media, uh, but Arsenal fans are, are quietly uh, and quickly learning uh, that uh, Matt Turner is a, a very good goalkeeper. So um, just some other news and notes to wrap up here. MLS Cup odds uh, for 2023 have come out. The Revolution are starting at 30 to 1 odds, which is further than they were in, at the start of 2021 when they were 25 to 1 odds. I believe LAFC has opened as the favorite, which is not a huge surprise. I believe they're at 7 to 2. Uh, LAFC, of course, won MLS Cup uh, in extra time over Philadelphia Union, probably one of the better games in league history. Um, Tanner, I don't know if you had any reactions to MLS Cup. Um, I don't know how much you watched of it, but uh, certainly a thrilling game. Um, any any takes from MLS Cup and uh, the LAFC Philadelphia battle? I couldn't take my eyes off it. It was just must-watch TV. It was almost like it was scripted. You know, when Gareth Bale scored, I was like, are we watching a movie? <laughs> you know, I was, I was sitting there, um, a bunch of family members there, and I was the only one interested in the game. And as the game went on, everyone was watching the TV. Um it was captivating. I think it was great for the league, uh, the drama that it filled, and and ultimately, like, it's just a great story. And I think it, you know, that's the kind of game the league actually needed. Um, and I and I think the fact that LAFC won is also good for the league as well. I think it's interesting because you did have really the epitome of a bought superstars buying high high worth big names versus your Moneyball uh, Academy built up. You know, you really had the, I mean, Philadelphia is one of the lowest spenders in the league. Uh, and so it was really, really interesting to kind of see the two teams play against each other. And, and Philadelphia hung with them. I mean, Philadelphia, you could argue, deserved to win MLS Cup. Both teams deserved to win MLS Cup. Uh, and then, as you mentioned, Gareth Bale, um, boy, you couldn't have written a better script, um, especially with all the doubts about him, you know, He's played limited minutes, 
Um, I think a lot of people confused why he wasn't making more of an impact. And then he shows up at the right time. Um, basically, LAFC's version of J.D. Drew coming in at the right minute uh, and the right moment and justifying his contract. So, um, yeah, really great game. Uh, really great opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of roster building. And um, really tough for, for Philadelphia. And you don't know when they're going to be back there. I'm sure LAFC will be back. Uh, but I feel like with young players and academies and selling for profit, Pax Narison is going to be sold for, for Philadelphia. Uh, you wonder if they're going to be that good next year uh, as well. And Philadelphia, you know, as I say, uh, I made the money ball comparison. The Oakland A's never won the World Series. The Tampa Bay Rays of the 2010s uh, never won the World Series. Um, I think Philadelphia, if they don't win an MLS Cup, I, th- I think there's a little bit more pressure on them as well. If they don't win MLS Cup, I, I think they're going to be known as one of these teams that just could never get over the hump and, and uh, they're going to waste a, a really, really good generation of kids because other teams are going to catch up to them. So um, I, I don't know. A lot of pressure on the union going forward, in my opinion. Yeah, they were 25th in spending in 2022 in terms of payroll um, in the entire league. And I think that it really tells a story what Jim Curran's been able to do there with that roster, what they've been able to do to identify young talent. But eventually that well dries up or it slows down. And like you said, there's other teams that are going to look at what Philadelphia is doing and they're going to develop homegrown talent of their own that they're, they're going to be finding their Brendan Aronsons of the world, right? So you, you, you have to question whether or not they're going to be successful going forward. But you know, Jim Curtin so far has proved that he's a great coach and they've been able to figure out and find these next players like Brendan Aronson's gone. Who do you have? Well, we have Paxson Aronson now, you know, they're just able to identify these young players and find success doing so. So it's hard to rule them out, but it is easy to question the sustainability of that model because I was obviously LAFC. They were third in the league in spending this year in terms of payroll and they can continue to spend, right? Spending money is easy. Finding young players on entry level contracts is very difficult. Mm-hmm. And, it's worth noting there's another giant in the East that Toronto FC, I'm sure, is not going to finish in 13th place next year. Uh, I'm sure TFC is trying to build off of that you know, same model uh, that, that they won the MLS Cup from a few years ago, and they're, they're trying to model LAFC where they're going out, and they're spending even more money. So I'm sure Philadelphia is going to have to be battling uh, their own giant in the East, uh, whereas opposed to this year, they seem to be just by far uh, the best team in the East. So we'll be very interested to see how things settle. Uh, going forward. Um, Tanner, is there anything else you want to talk about on the podcast before we wrap up here today? Any final thoughts? No, I think that fans should just enjoy the World Cup and enjoy everything it has to bring because I think after the World Cup, once it finishes, you're going to see a ton of movement. You know, you're going to see a, a tsunami of movement, I think, after the World Cup. I think right now the entire world's watching, but after that, get ready for all the roster movement because the revolution is going to be very busy. I would imagine we're going to see a lot more moves from the Revolution, too. Right now, their roster, I believe, is standing at 24, sorry, 23, because Tajori Shirati is, is being pulled off. Uh, but Shirati obviously had a big salary. We don't know what's going to happen with Josie, but if Josie, if they use the offseason buyout on him, that's a big chunk of salary that is opening up. So uh, if Josie is bought out, that means there's seven roster spots open, six of them on the senior roster, and there's money to play with. So expect the Revolution to be active. Uh, certainly this... The roster is getting a little bit looser, a little bit more roster flexibility, so to speak. Uh, and I imagine the Revs, they, they might not be making a ton of moves, uh, but I, I imagine there's going to be some splashes here. Uh, and the roster outlook certainly looks a little bit better uh, than it did a few weeks ago. So, uh, Tanner, thanks for joining us today. We're excited to welcome you on as a, a co-host of Revolution Recap. We're really looking forward to this next season. Uh, and for our listeners... 
You can follow us at Revolution Recap on Twitter and make sure you're following our Revolution Recap Instagram and Facebook pages. If you'd like to support us further, you can donate to the podcast at patreon.com slash revolutionrecap if you are able to. Also, make sure you're following Tanner Rebello and the Trifecta Network. Tanner, what are your handles on Twitter? Yeah, you can follow me at Tanner Rebello on Twitter. And also make sure, I believe you also have the Trifecta Network Facebook page as well, so make sure you follow the Trifecta Network. Uh, I believe it's at Trifecta Network on Twitter and on Facebook. Uh, also, be sure to follow our friends at The Bent Musket on Twitter, at The Bent Musket, and go to www.thebentmusket.com for year-round coverage. And also, thank you to our friends at The Rebellion. Go follow them at The Rebellion on Twitter and go to anyrebellion.org to learn more about them. And check out their Black Friday watch party for the United States World Cup game at Flynn's in Mansfield. And also, please go check out our sponsor, Glasso Kits, and make sure you remember 25% off their entire store through Black Friday. No promo code is needed, uh, but links and codes are in the show notes. Uh, please make sure you are subscribed on iTunes or wherever you are listening. And if you could please rate and review us five stars, it helps people looking for revolution content. Find us and big shout out to Derek for the five star review. We really appreciate it. If you haven't reviewed us yet, please, please, please help us out and shoot us a review. We're going to be bringing you content all off season long and every review helps. Uh, we really appreciate the feedback. Uh, we'll be back when more stuff happens. Thank you everyone for listening. And until we have another show, go reps.